Welcome to a new episode of My Dear Kitchen Helsinki podcast. My guest today is postdoctoral researcher Galina Kalleo from the University of Helsinki, and she is also one of the founding members of Kaupunkilaisten Omapelto Food Collective. Galina is a researcher in alternative food economies, and together we discuss Omapelto and other food collectives. You can find information about how to participate in Omapelto and other details on www.omapelto.fi. And you can find more information on Galina's work on her website galinakallio.fi. At the end of the podcast, Galina has a question for you. Please listen to the question and write your opinions as a comment on social media or the platform you listen to the podcast. As always, special thanks to my dear friend Uhuk Engerman for the sound editing. Hi, uh, and welcome uh, to the podcast. Uh, thank you for uh, being in the uh, interview. Now, when we first talked in the emails, um, we uh, I was just thinking about talking about Oma Pelto. But after reading your extra reading materials, like real research, I wanted to expand this also a bit further to food collectives in general in the local context of Finland. So uh, we'll first talk about Oma Pelto and then a little bit uh, more about food, other food collectives. Um, but before we dive deeper into this, uh, can you introduce yourself uh, briefly, your academic background, your research interests, and maybe your relationship with Oma Pelto? Yes, of course. Uh, so thank you for having me. Uh, I am um, I'm uh, now currently working at the University of Helsinki, Ruralia Institute, as a postdoctoral researcher. Um, and I'm... Um, I'm studying and researching regenerative food systems and f- f- agriculture and farming. And basically regenerative means that uh, the people who strive to improve the conditions of their soils while farming and while producing food and also pay attention to biodiversity and, and other sustainability issues also in terms of, um, in terms of sustainable livelihoods. So all of these factors are, are important. So I'm interested in how people go about their work. And I worked at the farms also um, and try to engage as much as I can in understanding these different regenerative practices of food production. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my background is in critical um, organization studies, which basically means that I have Uh, spent quite a lot of time in examining alternative systems uh, of food production and consumption, alternative uh, economies, if you will. So what are the ways that people actually organize the market economy differently? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, do they, how do they form relations uh, beyond the logic of the market? And, at, and what are these relationships like? So I have spent quite a lot of time in examining and food collectives, food cooperatives uh, and these community supported agriculture that we're going to be talking about today are very good examples of how to to do things differently, how to engage in exchanges that are are actually supporting the local livelihoods and supporting uh, sustainability and the needs of the local people. Um, now let's go into Omapelto. First of all, 
what does omapelto mean for uh, the non-Finnish speaking um, listeners? And also then what is omapelto? I mean, what is its working model and how did it emerge? Yeah. So Kaupunkilaisten omapelto, we, in English we call it uh, urban co- cooperative farm. Hmm. Um, so it, it is basically a model of CSA, which is community supported agriculture. Mm-hmm. And community supported agriculture means um, very simply that uh, households form relationships with farmers and those who produce the food. And with different types of contracts, it depends on the type of the community supported agriculture. Uh, with different types of contracts, households uh, commit to to usually to yearly harvests within within uh, kind of buying in advance from the farmers. This is what community supported agriculture ideally is about. And Kaupunkilaisten Omapelto, our urban cooperative farm, uh, was founded in actually. Uh, this is a, a anniversary year for <laughs> our Omapelto because uh, we found uh, 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 it was founded in 2011. I was one of the founding members actually at the time. Okay, and there are still some people engaged uh, who who have been uh, already 10 years as part of this 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 project, um, and. Um, I think the the history is very interesting because usually what happens with these community supported agriculture uh, cooperatives is that that th- there are farms who kind of initiate they give out shares if you will they provide for the households a possibility to buy their produce mm-hmm. on a monthly subscription for instance or on a yearly uh, yearly share that they sell yeah and then as part of that contract, uh, households can commit to, for instance, volunteering uh, at the farm or coming and pick up their own harvest uh, or, or something or, or working at the distribution points and events. But at Kaupunkilaisten Omapelto, the thing was that we actually contacted several farmers, but none of the farmers uh, actually uh, said that they're going to they're gonna go into this. So it was so new that none of the farmers could at that moment commit to just start doing things differently as they used to do, because farmers usually have their own customers already, or they are committed to selling to some wholesales or whatever these, you know, channels are that they, they sell their produce through. So we couldn't find any farmer who who would suddenly take 70 households and share and sell, you know, sell shares for, for a whole year to these people. So what we did was that we rented out a field. We hired gardeners, mm-hmm. or, or actually there was one gardener. Now there are, um, depending on the year, there are two to four uh, God paid salary workers who farm and who have the uh, the ability and their profession, uh, their professionals in farming. Mm-hmm. So we employ actually um, at least two farmers per year, which is for us, it has been from the start, it has been very important to pay a, a decent salary for those people who produce our work, because we all know that farmers are on a really tight position and they, their hourly salary can even be negative. So they put more effort into producing food than, than they get out of it eventually. Mm-hmm. 
So this is how we emerged and we sort of rented out the field and then we had these people who committed and we were selling or we were we built a cooperative. So as part of cooperative, you are a member, right? So you pay a certain amount to become a member and then every year you pay a certain amount to have the share. And how it actually works is that every week or every two weeks, you receive, uh, you receive um, um, uh, a bag. And for us, it's very important that that harvest that we receive, it's actually something that we don't decide in advance. So we, we cannot pick that this week I want these items, but it's rather, uh, it's depending on how successful the harvest, the production is, and, and what actually comes out of the field. Of course, it's it's planned in advance, so we know uh, when uh, and, and what is being cultivated. But, okay. but still, it's not like you go to the supermarket and pick whatever you want, but it's rather that you get what the, what the, the soil and the land gives you at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, where is that field uh, located? I mean, is it in, in Helsinki or close to Helsinki? Yeah, um, it's located in Corso. Um, so uh, Corso is not in Helsinki region, but it's in the metropolitan area still, uh, in the sense that it's, I, I believe it's in Van, it's Vanta area. Mm-hmm. Um, and But you can access by train. Mm-hmm. So people travel by train or they take, um, they take cars. Some people have, have taken their bike even it's some 20 25 kilometers so it's not impossible to do that <laughs> yeah okay um so uh, how do you think omopelto contributes to the local food system and the sustainability of the local system and maybe you can explain what uh, the local food sustainability means for you when you are explaining this yeah exactly i think that's that's where we need to start with or from because um, sustainability is a broad concept and it, 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 it is loaded with meanings that are not necessarily shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I speak of it, I speak from, uh, from the very experience of myself um, being uh, very critical towards, for instance, the concept of sustainable development, mm-hmm. where we sort of usually refer and go back to when we speak of sustainability and the triple the the three dimensions of it the environmental economic and and social and and sort of that yeah so it's a very important question to start from where uh, what is the sustainability of the local food system i guess that i have um thought about it uh in a way that um mm, um, that it that it means um, thinking of the ecological factors, the ecological um, possibilities and boundaries that exist locally, w- what is possible in a way that doesn't uh, uh, degenerate, but it rather regenerates. So it creates more possibilities for continuing that same activity in the future without many external inputs, uh, without um, being very dependent on super long chains and and different power relations that are engaged in these supply chains. So increasing local sort of resilience, if you will, in that sense. Uh, Also, I think that 
that in this context, uh, if we speak about Omapelto, um, one important aspect is the social um, social social aspect of it. That how um, how does this kind of an initiative where people sort of are a collective, uh, how does it actually maybe improve their social uh, well-being or or com- or or maybe build a community or uh, how does it enable this? And I think that here we come to this, um, it's always very challenging at these times when we are speaking now with, with this physical distancing going on and the corona pandemic and, and all of these things that that part of this very intense social aspect where we actually need people to commit and to engage and to meet each other and be present physically, like working in the field and working at the distribution and all of these um, yeah, but um, but so coming back to the question that how does Oma Pelta contribute to this? I, I believe that in concrete ways, the of course we because it is a biodynamic farm, which to many is not maybe biodynamic is not very familiar, but biodynamic is like the next level of organic. <laughs> it's it's sort of taking to the next level in in the way that that there are of course similar things to to organic that that we don't use any uh, chemicals uh, or any chemical fertilizers or pesticides or or anything like that um, and there is a, a rotation which basically means that the fields are under continuous sort of we to improve the the condition of the soil by different means and what distinguishes biodynamic is that you use compost in order to improve and um, and soil and give nutrition to the plants and to the soil, but also preparates are part of the. Uh, it's a kind of um, um, it's part of the process of um, of enabling also the soil health, mm-hmm. improving the the condition of the plants mm. as well. Okay. Uh, I'm 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 curious uh, because I'm I'm very interested in things uh, topics such as seed sovereignty and, and you know seeds. Uh, so where do the farmers that you're working with uh, get their seeds? What kind of seeds are you are they using? Um, um, yeah, it's a very relevant question because usually we forget about seeds as if the plants just appear mm-hmm. <laughs> and they start growing. Uh, so it's very important to ask where do the seeds come from and who who controls these seeds mm. and how do we get them. We are not doing any seed uh, reproduction activities at the moment and we're not at the moment collecting seeds actively mm-hmm. uh, at the field. So seeds... Um, some seeds are bought, they're biodynamic seeds, which are bought from this, um, uh, it's, a, it's an organization actually in, um, in Germany that is a large distributor of, of, uh, of biodynamic seeds. And I will remember probably its name later on, but it's, yeah. But, uh, but then we also buy uh, plants, like small transplants that, are, that have been already um, um, sowed and grown in other farms 
or in one particular other biodynamic farm. And they also get their seeds from the same supplier, uh, this biodynamic supplier of seeds that is in Germany. Mm -hmm. There are very little seeds that are used that are local mm -hmm. in that sense. Are you thinking at some point to reproduce your own seeds? I don't know if you need any bigger thing, of course, uh, to do that, uh, bigger than what you already have. Or is there a plan? Is there such a plan for the future? We haven't talked about it. Uh, mm -hmm. Some farmers actually do it. And I know that, that for instance, at uh, Omama, which is another food co-op, um, they do some seed saving activities and they actively sort of try to save some of the seeds. And it's also more common with, um, with cereals, with grains mm. to, to, to take your own seeds from them. But very few within uh, vegetables and those kinds of uh, plants and varieties. Um, it's challenging in, in Finnish conditions. And, and some of them, like root vegetables, they require two years Mm. of you know so they require the winter season and and it's not very um clear whether they will survive the finnish winters mm -hmm. um so there are many issues that are here uh, i see it as one of the directions that needs to come at some point uh, mm -hmm. considering the current ecological crisis that yeah. um i see it one of the main issues mm -hmm. Now, uh, you already said a little bit about uh, people's activities, not the farmers, uh, but, but the participants um, or the people in the food collective um, having, you know, volunteering and uh, things like that. Uh, so what, so exactly what kind of interactions uh, or relations uh, occur between the people who are part of Oma Pelto? Hmm. So people can choose. Um, quite freely how they engage some people don't engage at all meaning that what they do is that they just come and pick up their bags mm -hmm. we have thought this in a way that not all people have the possibility or the abilities or the capabilities to give their time mm -hmm. so this is one of the issues that we're currently facing at this um at this society where the Where, where the value is towards the, the work that is paid. It's a paid job. It's a salary. Mm -hmm. And then everything else that you do, all the other type of work, it doesn't have the same value because it's a, it's a complex issue, but this is how I see it. So there's a, there's a challenge that when we sort of commit to being part of this wage labor society where we work from eight till... till uh, Well, some people work from eight till eight. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> many people do that. Uh, there is not a lot, a lot of time. And then on top of that, you have your household and you have your kids and, and you have all of this. So the kind of interactions that happen, they, they, for instance, they happen when people meet, when they come and pick up their food, but they can decide how much they engage in interactions. They happen online on Facebook groups when people share their recipes, when people sort of ask something about... Uh, farmers write a blog, so that's a, a, a kind of an interaction also that farmers try to do when they when they tell what happens in the field and you can sort of relate 
and read and, and be informed in a way. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, what I consider the most important interaction, and I, I consider this that it would be perfect is if everyone who, uh, who is as a member in this field would go and actually um, work and visit the fields because the best interactions are those where, where we meet personally, when we physically do some kind of labor, when we interact not only with other people, but also with the soils, with the plants, with the tools, with all the, the materialities that, that are there. And I think this is very important because our embodied memory is the most powerful uh, to change our uh, ways of relating to this world. We can speak as much as we will, but it doesn't, the memory doesn't stick as well as it sticks in our bodies when we physically engage in something. So therefore, I believe that those kinds of interactions that the, the actual the field allows and enables are the best. And we always welcome. So you can come to the field at any time you want. And this is something that people might not realize that it's actually a cooperative. It's our Oma Pelto, own farm, literally, yeah. right? It's nobody else's. We can, everybody can go there mm -hmm. and uh, whenever they want and do something so try to feel a bit of an ownership of that yeah. interaction yeah and i highly agree about uh it, it changes i mean i i visited last Silla farm that omama was working uh, is working with and uh, the farm itself several times and and it is a life-changing thing even though i didn't really do much i mean i, I probably pulled a few carrots <laughs> from the, the soil but it's still it was it to see uh, all these sustainability or, or agriculture, uh, whatever that we talk about being in action was really very, uh, it, it really changed my, my view on so many things, uh, even, in, even after the very first visit. So I, I, I really agree with that. Um, but uh, you also talked just now about values and I want to come to that because in one of the um, articles that you shared with me, uh, you talk about values uh, that you found commonly found in, in the food collectives that you researched. Now, can you explain these values a little bit uh, for the uh, listeners and then discuss Oma Pelto uh, from the point of values? Mm. Yeah. Sure. Um, I try to be brief. Um, the article you referred to is titled A Carrot Isn't a Carrot Isn't a Carrot because yeah. it's a carrot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, what I, the, the main argument that I sort of developed in that, in that article is actually that we, we, um, we tend to think of values as if they are static as if values are something that we either as humans collectively or individually possess, as if they are in us somehow just, uh, uh, you know, um, entities that we sort of possess and that somehow influence our actions. Or we think of, uh, we perceive values as, as an outcome of something. For instance, a price, we can, we can measure some kind of, value of food through price or or there can be some other values such as uh, such as um, uh, family or or something else uh, that is uh, uh, or or quality or something that we sort of measure afterwards that we 
uh, we tend to grasp as if you know this food is is pure, this food is good, and then we we create criteria to measure those. Uh, but the, both both ways of thinking of values or value uh, as price or value as as you know the pre-existing values of the society or of communities or of individual people are very static and what i do in that in that article is that i try to show that values exist only and when we actually act act upon them we or, or we that values are embedded in our action and what i mean by that is that if a food collective or our food uh, oma pelto says that one of the you can identify that one of the values might be this particular type of good food right mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that people seek for good food what does it really mean it's continuously sort of it changes what it means because we learn what yeah. is good food in a particular context right so it's not we can try to identify some qualities of that food but at the same time we are testing those qualities while while we interact upon that food for instance purity of food that it's pure or clean or whatever it doesn't mean that it's it actually means that it's dirty right yeah. so so pure food is dirty because it has soil on it mm-hmm. it's you know so there are these so what does it actually so i'm asking what does this mean in practice what does good food mean in practice for these people and what i actually found was that it means different things because people act upon it differently even though they all consider particular food to be good but for some people uh, good food is vegetarian food for other people good food is kosher meat uh, for other you know so so there are this performativity that engages us in continuously sort of refining the values or trying and testing them out and i speak of three value uh, three kind of uh, um, underlying value domains i speak of good food good price uh, and good community mm-hmm. and then i in that article i try to explain that they uh, or or sort of describe that all of these exist in food collectives but not all of them are equal or even um you know that each community that is formed around this direct relationships between households and and producers um they all perform community differently in each of these collectives community might mean in practice different things that community might be just that that there is a possibility for a communal action but nobody actually takes takes action towards but 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 it might be just the idea of having the possibility of participating in the community if and when i want yeah. but the argument goes that community that or kind of the question that does community exist when nobody is there to act upon a community mm-hmm. right so So this is the kind of idea I develop in the article that we should think of values as performative as embedded in our action that it's something that we we do not something that we have or possess. Mm-hmm. No, I don't know if you if you uh, 
gave any thought on that or when you were making a research um, or when you're part of Omapelto, if you have observed any uh, of this, but is there a certain member profile of Omapelto? I mean, uh, a certain uh, gender or race or economic situation, et cetera, more dominant than the others. And you can also, you can, you can discuss this in Omapelto's uh, context, but also you can expand this to the other food collectives that you studied with. Yeah, um, yeah. This is a this is a good question. Um, in terms of Kaupunkilaisten uh, Omapelto, our urban cooperative farm, I cannot say that there is a dominant member profile, and I think that is the best thing about it. I think that our strength is actually compared to maybe other. Uh, uh, um, groups or you know communities is actually that there are demographically very many different kinds of people there are from like um, ret uh, reti um, retired elderly people to students to to single parents to families with small kids to to families with big kids to couples without kids to you know like to to more of those city city people and more of those uh, suburban maybe people who live in suburban so very and also income level varies I know that there are people with high income levels truly you know well off uh, and also people who might not have such a, such a big uh, income or you know high high levels of income so both exist and now for instance a good example is that this year we 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 made this we have always tried to engage also with those people who are not um, always for instance they, they don't have the possibility so some in during some years we have given out uh, shares to the church which gives them out then to those people who can't afford for instance to participate uh, in this so the food bags sort of get to the people who who really need them and this year we have this possibility that you can with your own labor input if you go and collect uh, harvest your food yourself you can then sort of compensate for the lower price and and sort of do uh, and I of course I understand that this is also problematic in terms of that you if you don't have time or you don't have the means to go but we try to also engage in groups so that you don't need to go there maybe every time but but if you're part of a group that goes and harvests together then we can take turns and and sort of even this out and also the idea is to to get the know to to know people better but this demographics is very interesting because how do these emerge for instance um, food collectives and now i want to be clear that community supported agriculture or food cooperatives are different from food collectives right so food collectives don't require such commitment, for instance, uh, necessarily. Of course, there are many CSAs and you can, like in the USA, uh, if you go and participate in a CSA, you can, you can just subscribe for one month and maybe even choose every item in your food bag and then just, you know, say that, thanks, but I don't want to be part of this anymore. But in Finland, you, people try to engage you for the whole season preferably or in omama you have the summer season and the winter season and, and sort of different but still a longer period period than just one week or one month but um but uh, 
but about the member profile or the demographics of the people is that some of the food collectives where people just get together and buy stuff directly from, you know, producers, or we speak of reco rings, which are more of these pop-up market uh, types where you engage in Facebook and uh, many producers offer their stuff and you can choose from that. Um, some of the food collectives at their early stages were demographically quite similar. For instance, there were uh, uh, lots of mothers with young kids who felt the need to, to form these groups. So there was this very communal aspect to it, not only getting the food, but also having the, you know, the, 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 the neighborhood community or the motherhood community or, or the students. Mm. There were food collectives as part of the universities. Hmm. So it, it could be a student organization or a student group or, or such. But at Oma Pelto, we don't have such demographics at the moment. Okay. Um, now, expanding our discussion into the, your, your research, which was more uh, general, like different kinds of food collectives that you studied, uh, I have some questions. But first of all, how many food collectives did you study? And... Um, were they all around in Finland or they were all in Helsinki metropolitan region? Uh, is there, is there a little bit, can you give a little bit of information on that before, so, so that we can put into context the following questions? Yes, of course. Uh, so I had 22 food collectives that I studied uh, and interviewed and, and most of them or many of them also visited myself or participated in, in a few of them myself. Uh, some of them, one of them, for instance, was in Rovaniemi in Lapland, um, and some of, a few of them were um, in eastern or, or eastern or central or western Finland or, or Ostrobotnia, so the kind of the northern, the the, the southern northern <laughs> parts of the of the Finland. But obviously, most because of also the the population, how it's. It's uh, dense here in the capital region. So they were sort of located around the capital area. So many of the food collectives were in different regions around the metropolitan area. So including sort of Espo and Vanta and Tuusula and, um, and Helsinki and, and all of these, Järvenpää and so kind of the surrounding areas. Okay. So, okay. Now, what do you think? Well, of course, as you said, explain yourself, uh, food collectives uh, work in different ways. Uh, but in in one way or another, there is some kind of long, uh, long-term and uh, in a way direct uh, relationship with a local farmer or several local farmers. Um, so what do you think this kind of uh, more direct and long-term relationship brings to a person uh, different than just going to any local market or farmer's market and shopping from there. Even if it's the same kind of, you're still looking for, let's say organic and healthy and whatever food, but but as a shopping more than this kind of engaging. What is, what is, what does it bring? Mm. Of course, it, again, we need to, um, we need, to speak of the nature of the relationships because you can also have direct relationships without having the, the quality of the deep connection or relations. So, um, so it, 
I, I observed and noticed and sort of found out that it depends quite a lot on the nature of relationships. But for instance, in regarding food collectives, where um, where group of people, group of households form direct relationships with certain types of farmers, um, that there is this um, this kind of a one type of reciprocity going on because the farmer uh, gives something and exchange of information comes also the other way around. So the farmer also gets feedback mm, yeah. for uh, usually positive, <laughs> which I, but sometimes of course negative as well. And that's part of, you know, of, of learning and, and, and collective learning. But, um, but what I noticed is that this for many, farmers particularly, it was very important or has been very important to receive actually feedback for what they do. And this type of uh, um, gratitude that people have towards their produce, which is basically lacking when we don't know who produces our food. So there is always a possibility for this type of uh, a feedback loop yeah. To, to be developed in these food collectives, which I think is very important. But what we usually don't speak about, we have the tendency of thinking that, that what I call households usually are called consumers, and I don't like to use that term, but I think it's very important to be conscious about what concepts we use because it gives us certain type of agency. So we are so used to being consumers and acting as consumers and acting upon the expectations that we as consumers are sort of, we learn that we can require and customer is always right. Uh, and, and all of these, which, um, which is actually interesting because, because I think that there is still a challenge in these cooperatives and, and co food collectives and all of these to get that reflection to the households, right? To get the households to think that what is it in our ways of how can we understand better what does farming actually means and how should consumption maybe change towards what is possible? Because now the thing is that what everything that consumer wants and needs can be done at the, at the production side, right? So kind of production answers the, the demand. But how about the other way around? How, what can we sort of learn as households from, from trying to engage more closely to, um, to food, uh, how food is, is farmed and produced and understand that? And from those, try to adjust our own behavior yeah. towards, you know. So sustainability is complex in this way. It's not just a one direction of sustainability. Let, let's improve sustainability of the farming, but let's improve being sustainable households yeah. and consumers mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. as well. Um, so uh, I understand, or I see then this um, buying your food, uh, whatever you, it is, uh, from a chain store uh, versus uh, being part of a food collective as 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 reframing of food and uh, i feel like so per people change from consumer to active participants in the local system would you agree to that people have the possibility to do that mm -hmm. 
whereas they don't have the possibility to do that in the conventional uh, supermarket system. Mm -hmm. But they don't necessarily take that role, yeah. mm -hmm. even though they can. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I do agree, uh, but I wouldn't say that this is always the case. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. I mean, yes, uh, as long as you wish to, of course, uh, you become. Um, exactly, yeah. Uh, so what do you think is the strength of uh, this kind of local food collectives or <clears throat> let's say even local food movements in changing the mainstream food system or mainstream food narrative? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good way to put it because I have I have encountered um, recently many instances where this same question has been framed a bit differently, and it has been asked in this way: that how do you make these activities or these food collectives mainstream? Mm. And what you asked is that how do you actually? Uh, raise some critical questions in the mainstream or how do you impact uh, the change in the mainstream, which is a bit different. And I like it more because what I tend to argue or say, and what I have actually observed, and I believe in this, that, um, that many things that have started as marginal and radical and sort of, you know, radical sustainability or radical um, uh, organic movement and all of this. And, and many of these that when they go to the mainstream, they blend in the mainstream. They don't actually change it that much or they take, they start operating within the logic of this sort of, uh, and I say with this economistic logic quite a lot. Uh, um, and I think that's the problem. So, um, so rather what, what, what are these um, these kinds of local food um, collectives or communities, how are they challenging maybe? I, I believe that the, the most potential and most change, the challenge for change is that people experience something differently. They get empowered that they can do things themselves, that they can make decisions based on their local needs, not based on some abstract uh pursuits or wants or you know requirements or whatever uh and it's very empowering to be able to act upon your needs and and also feel that you are somehow responsible to you know to your local peers yeah. and communities mm -hmm. uh, so i think that's the most strength that that these initiatives have and it's very difficult to explain uh, or it's it's easy to explain, but it's difficult to understand. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Yeah. Um, if you're not part. Yes. Um, so you said that you had uh, some you, you researched twenty two food collectives. No, I, I see that there's quite a lot, but I don't know uh, if you know about uh, other countries who maybe had even longer for for longer time this kind of uh, food collectives. What is uh, what is the situation of Finland in comparison to the, to other countries that have more maybe livelier uh, or more uh, food collectives or this kind of uh, movements or communities? 
so to answer your question about what do I know or how does Finland um, compare maybe or what is their relationship to other countries uh, regards food collectives and these activities, I have recently sort of um, looked into community-supported agriculture um, initiatives more maybe than 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 food collectives, but we can use this as an umbrella term because yeah. <laughs> they're yeah uh, yeah but um but for instance a, a curious thing is that in norway there are some more than 100 community supported agriculture mm-hmm. initiatives in finland there are currently 10 okay and norway is smaller than finland mm. right uh also usually when we talk about uh, these alternative food systems or initiatives um, we refer to to Central Europe or Germany or France or Spain or these kinds of countries where there are more active sort of these initiatives mm-hmm. and Finland has not really taken um, t- taking this um, or integrated these as much into the daily practices of or everyday practices of people mm-hmm. so much as the other countries and there are many things that we can speculate why this is the case mm-hmm. uh, but i believe some of the reasons are also in in the agricultural policy mm-hmm. and how that has been done because um, we all know that in finland the agricultural policy since the eu has unfortunately directed production in bigger and more centralized units mm-hmm. and spread the production around the country in focused and, and kind of um, production lines in the sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these kinds of initiatives, they actually need small units, small farms and diverse production, mm-hmm. right? So I, I don't know of any food collective where households would say, you know, I know this farm where they produce like, Uh, 1,000 cows and they live throughout the year in these tiny, you know, tiny spots and they can't move. Let's mm-hmm. go and get some milk from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, so I haven't found out that this is the case, but usually people want, you know, they want this, um, they want to know that the farming is very ethical and that the farming methods are sustainable and environmentally friendly and that what they eat is healthy for them and that's why they organize they yeah. don't organize for buying something that we can have in the supermarket yeah. and if that is difficult to access as it seems to be in finland at some point there were so many food collectives that the farmers there were not not enough farmers to supply mm-hmm. So I think this is one of the challenges that we have. We don't have small-scale diversified production or enough of it in order to facilitate or speed up or somehow accelerate these activities. Whereas, for instance, in Norway, the policy has been a bit different. Of course, they have their oil, their oil money, mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, they can do a lot. But they have kept their countryside alive. Unlike in Finland, the countryside is quite you know, different. We all know how the villages empty up and they become deserted and, and you know. Mm. So, but food is in the heart of any economy. So, you know, if you don't have a lively local food system, then, I mean, you don't have the village. Yeah. You don't have that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I'm also see um, 
many kinds of uh, food collectives or communities or community supported agriculture, if you will, uh, representatives of the notion of food sovereignty. Um, for example, in the context of Finland, it's in a developed country, uh, maybe also in relation to urban, ru urban rural uh, relations. So, uh, what can you say about uh, these, these food collectives and communities in, uh, in the context of um, food sovereignty? And also, if you give the definition of food sovereignty in your own words for our listeners, and, and you can say that in general, this kind of what, you know, the relationship between food sovereignty and these kind of communities. But if you can particularly tell them about Finland's Finnish context, what can you say as an analysis? Yeah, I um, to be honest, I'm not a food sovereignty scholar or researcher as such. I don't use that concept actively in my own work, but I do relate to that concept a bit in a way because that's the mirror concept for food security. Mm -hmm. And it's very important to know that food security is something that is used in global politics and it's used against yeah. uh, local farmers many times or unfortunately that yeah. and I, I wrote a piece about this the other side of food security where I kind of went through this logic behind the food security discourse which is very powerful it is driven by um, by large corporations uh, that have their stakes uh, not in supporting the sovereignty or the local small-scale diverse farmers and their rights to their land and to their seeds and to their production methods and to their communities and to their livelihoods, but rather driving their own businesses, mm -hmm. agribusinesses, large-scale expansion, right? So food security is that other term against which I see, or this is my way of, I guess, now some food sovereignty listener will <laughs> can then correct me and write me well, this is not the case but I I myself interpret it as a concept that partially sort of responds to this or kind of works uh, to bring another perspective of it and 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 to to emphasize sort of the right of people of local people to to their own decision making and sort of um uh, uh, decision making related how food is produced, what kind of food is produced, who produces it, how it is distributed. Because in this food security, the so-called developing countries, I don't like that term. I, I, I have started to speak of the global north or the western countries um, because I think there's um, there is a colonial aspect to developing countries and developed countries and all of this. And I don't think it's right to use that. That's also supported by the food security discourse that developed countries are developing the underdeveloped, right? Mm -hmm. We need to secure their food and it's always, we do something for them. It's objectifying. Mm -hmm. So I believe this is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. So food sovereignty takes it, takes this discourse level back to those actors themselves to hear their voices. And I believe that farmers have been engaging in this quite a lot themselves. So it's not 
corporate managers or it's not politic politicians it's not uh some kind of um uh um some kind of a large sort of corporate representatives uh or healthcare institution representatives from other side of the world but it is the the people who are actually locally influenced by the decisions are acting and taking those decisions that's where i kind of see food sovereignty coming in mm-hmm. um now we talked about a little bit about like a, any certain member profile of omapelto or food collectives or uh, communities but then there are also um apart from these people uh, there are also actors or or people who are marginalized by a food system for example uh, so in the local context of finland who do you think are these people marginalized by the food system like whose are the voices uh, which are absent from the discussions especially when we talk about things like sustainable food local food system etc and um can you think of some of the ways of of course this this is a big topic again uh, but ways of how, of how we can include them in these discussions or and in this uh, topic mm. yeah this is a very good question uh and it relates to the food sovereignty you asked me actually to relate it to the finnish context so now i i i might do it with this question as well mm. i believe that if if i was to generalize i would say farmers in general are marginalized from the discussions of the of the the transformation maybe that we talk about transforming the food system and 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 towards a more sustainable and and just and ecologically viable system but in but only if, but that's a very big generalization because farmers there are so many different farmers and different kinds of farmers uh and i really myself i work with these um quite quite small scale diversified farmers who sort of actively strive towards regenerative regenerative um learning and improving and developing regenerative agricultural practices mm-hmm. and and even though this has gained some popularity in the media recently regenerative agriculture Mm, it is still it is still the discourse is still on the level of um of the markets and i'm saying this because because we speak mainly of carbon farming for instance mm. and carbon farming we all understand that if there is carbon that you can measure you can build a market around it uh uh so it's 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 on the safe side to speak about that that's a a kind of a legitimate discussion but but those voices that are marginalized are exactly these people who who are already doing things differently quite radically differently they're paying very much attention towards uh towards the the qualities of their soils and the qualities of the produce and the diversity and i'm and and even to the and even the way that the labor becomes valued in these um, in these small farmers is different because the, because they put their labor 
not only monetary, like that labor can not only be valued in monetary terms, but it becomes a more holistic approach to farming in many ways. It's, it's people's livelihoods and, and the surrounding communities. And I'm not trying to idealize this because they're struggling as well. So there is this challenge of, of earning a livelihood while farming. Uh, and it's, it's always a challenge. But what I am saying is that these voices of people who actively do things differently and try to actively do things differently, they're not heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe they are marginalized mm-hmm. because we tend to think that they are some hippies and it's a very, you know, it's a hippie phenomenon or this is very marginal or nobody really, you know, does this. If there are three farmers who do this, then, you know, so there is this kind of um, um, a tendency to, to, to undermine these things. Uh, yes, I agree. And um I always find that uh, not just in this food agriculture uh, context, but in many other contexts, uh, topics, when we, when, when sometimes people uh, offer, like suggest something radical and new thinking, uh, some people are always, uh, you can't do that. But it's just because you can't do that in the existing uh, understanding. But the, what these people are, or in let's say in the food and agriculture or any other uh, similar topic, well, they are not trying. They are trying to change the current system. So, they, so they are not trying to fix something like an easy uh, techno fix uh, in some part of the system, and then it's going to change. No. Uh, so, of course, if you try to fit things into the existing system, yeah, it doesn't work. But that's not the idea. The idea is to be able to think something radically different uh, do we have to really always think that way that is already existing and that we know already have problems um, but this was a really um, interesting uh, discussion and also I learned uh, myself uh, quite a lot from your answers and thank you um, but these are all my these were all my questions so do you have any final comments or words and starting from this uh, episode, um i want uh, i want to conc- end the uh, episode with a question from the guest to the listeners to think after this to think more afterwards and hopefully maybe even comment uh, their opinions in any platform that they ask so what would be your question to the listeners and your final comments so my question uh would be that if we think that we as humans need food and we eat food five times a day, uh, how can we collectively start being uh, more conscious about the food that we eat and the processes that made that food possible for us? That is my question. How can we be more conscious about it collectively as humans? Uh, that's a very good question to think of. And even though I, I, I think about this, I'll think even more now about it. And I hope the listeners um, can also uh, write about their answers in whichever platform uh, that they follow. Um, so thank you for this um, interview again. And um, we'll hopefully. Um, 
come back to your postdoc uh, research uh, as well in a few months uh, because it's a fascinating topic for me and I'll be following your work uh, more and um, thanks again and bye. <laughs>